Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, starring Peter Jones as The Book. Far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 90 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose ape-descended life forms are so amazingly primitive that they still think digital watches are a pretty neat idea. This planet has, or had, a problem, which was this. Most of the people living on it were unhappy for pretty much of the time. Many solutions were suggested for this problem, but most of these were largely concerned with the movements of small green pieces of paper, which is odd because on the whole it wasn't the small green pieces of paper that were unhappy. And so the problem remained, and lots of the people were mean, and most of them were miserable, even the ones with digital watches, Many were increasingly of the opinion that they'd all made a big mistake in coming down from the trees in the first place. And some said that even the trees had been a bad move and that no one should ever have left the oceans. And then one day, nearly 2,000 years after one man had been nailed to a tree for saying how great it would be to be nice to people for a change, a girl, sitting on her own in a small cafe in Rickmansworth, suddenly realised what it was that had been going wrong all this time, and she finally knew how the world could be made a good and happy place. This time, it was right, it would work, and no one would have to get nailed to anything. Sadly, however, before she could get to a phone to tell anyone, the Earth was unexpectedly demolished to make way for a new hyperspace bypass, and so the idea was lost forever. Meanwhile... Arthur Dent has escaped from the Earth in the company of a friend of his, who has unexpectedly turned out to be from a small planet somewhere in the vicinity of Betelgeuse. His name is Ford Prefect, for reasons which are unlikely to become clear again at the moment, and they are both in dead trouble with the captain of a Vogon spaceship. So, Earthlings, I present you with a simple choice. Think carefully for you hold your very lives in your hands. Now choose. Either die in the vacuum of space or... Tell me how good you thought my poem was. I liked it. Good. Oh, oh yes, I thought that some of the metaphysical imagery was particularly effective. Yes? Oh, And um, interesting rhythmic devices, too, which seem to counterpoint the... uh... Counterpoint the surrealism of the underlying metaphor of the... um... Humanity of the... uh... Vagonity. What? Vagonity. Oh, oh, Vagonity, sorry. Of the poet's compassionate soul, which contrives through the medium of the verse structure to sublimate this, transcend that, and come to terms with the fundamental dichotomies of the other, and one is left with a profound and vivid insight into... Uh, into whatever it was the, the poem, poem was, was about. about. Oh, hey, Donald, that was very good. So what you're saying is that I write poetry because underneath my mean, callous, heartless 
Mysteria, I really just want to be loved. Is that right? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, don't we all, deep down, you know. No, no, you're completely wrong. I just write poetry to throw my mean, callous, heartless exterior into sharp relief. I'm going to show you off the ship anyway. Good! Take the prisoners to number three airlock and throw them out. You can't throw us off into deep space. We're trying to write a book. I don't want to die now. I've still got a headache. I don't want to go to heaven with a headache. I'd be all cross and wouldn't enjoy it. You can't do this. Why not, you puny creature? Oh, why not? Why not? Does there have to be a reason for everything? Why don't you just let us go on a mad impulse? Go on, live a little. Surprise yourself. Counterpoint the surrealism of the underlying metaphor. Death's too good for Oh! Let go of me, you brute! Don't you worry. I'll think of something. I woke up this morning and thought I'd have okay. a nice, relaxed day. Right. Do a bit of reading, brush the dog. I know. It's I know. now yeah. just after four in the afternoon and I'm already being thrown yes. out of an alien spaceship five light years from yes. the smoking yes, remains of the Earth. All right, just stop panicking! Who said anything about panicking? This is still just a culture shock. Arthur, you're getting hysterical. Shut up! Resistance is useless! You can shut up as well. Resistance is useless! No, give it a rest. Do you really enjoy this sort of thing? Resistance is... What do you mean? I mean, does it give you a full, satisfying life? Stomping around, shouting, pushing people out of spaceships? Well, they are so good. They have to be. But now you come the nation now. I suppose most of the actual minutes are pretty lousy. <laughs> Except some of the shouting I quite like. <laughs> Resistance yeah, Sure, you. yes, you're good at that, I can tell. But if it's mostly lousy, then why do you do it? What is it? The girls? The leather? The machismo? I, I don't know. I, I think I just sort of do it, really. <laughs> there, Arthur, you think you've got problems. Yes, this guy's still half-throttling me. Yeah, but try and understand his problem. All right, so... What's your Well, stop doing it, of course. Well, doesn't sound that great to me. Well, wait a minute, that's just the start. There's more to it than that, you see. Uh, no, uh, I think if it's all the same to you, I'd better just get you both shoved into this airlock and then go get on with some other bits of shouting I've got to do. I mean, come on, I mean, now look. Ah. Thanks for taking an interest. Bye now. No, listen, listen, there's a, there's a whole world you don't know anything about. I mean, here, how about this? Da-da-da-dum. I mean, doesn't that stir anything in you? Bye. I'll mention what you said to my aunt. Potentially bright lad, I thought. We're trapped now, aren't we? Ah, uh, yes. We're trapped. Well, didn't you think of anything? Oh, yes. Yes? Uh, but unfortunately, it rather involved being on the other side of the airtight hatchway, oh. they've just sealed behind us. So what happens next? The hatchway in front of us will open automatically in a moment, and we'll shoot out into deep space and asphyxiate in about 30 seconds. So this is it? We're going to die? Yes. Except... No. Wait a minute. What's this switch? What? Where? No, I was only fooling. We are going to die after all. You know, it's at times like this when I'm trapped in a Vogon airlock with a man from Beetlejuice and about to die of asphyxiation in deep space that I really wish I'd listened to what my mother told me when I was young. Why? What did she tell you? I don't know. I didn't listen. <laughs> Terrific.
The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a truly remarkable book. The introduction starts like this. Space, it says, is big, really big. You just won't believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. I mean, you may think it's a long way down the street to the chemist, but that's just peanuts to space. Listen. And so on. After a while, the star settles down a bit and it starts telling you things you actually need to know, like the fact that the fabulously beautiful planet Bethselemin is now so worried about the cumulative erosion caused by 10 million visiting tourists a year that any net imbalance between the amount you eat and the amount you excrete whilst on the planet is surgically removed from your body weight when you leave. So every time you go to the lavatory there, it's vitally important to get a receipt. In the entry in which it talks about dying of asphyxiation 30 seconds after being thrown out of a spaceship, it goes on to say that what with space being the size it is, the chances of being picked up by another craft within those seconds are 2 to the power of 267,709 to 1 against, which, by a staggering coincidence, was also the telephone number of an Islington flat where Arthur once went to a very good party and met a very nice girl whom he entirely failed to get off with. Though the planet Earth, the Islington flat and the telephone have all now been demolished, it is comforting to reflect that they are in some small way commemorated by the fact that 29 seconds later, Ford and Arthur were in fact rescued. There you are. I told you. I think of something. Oh, sure. Bright idea of mine to find a passing spaceship and get rescued by it. Oh, come on. The chances against it were astronomical. Don't knock it. It works. Now, where are we? Well, I hardly like to say this, but it looks like the seafront at South End. God, I'm relieved to hear you say that. Why? Because I thought I must be going mad. Perhaps we weren't rescued after all. Perhaps we died. What's that meant to mean? When I was young, I used to have this nightmare about dying. I used to lie awake at night, screaming. All my school friends went to heaven or hell, and I was sent to South End. Perhaps we'd better ask somebody what's going on. How about that man over there? The one with the five heads crawling up the wall? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, sir, excuse me. Uh, excuse me. You know, if this is South End, there's something very odd about it. You mean... The way the sea stays steady as a rock and the buildings keep washing up and down. Yes, I thought that was odd. Two to the power of 100,000 to one against and falling. What was that? Sounds like a measurement of probability. Hey, that couldn't mean... No. What? I'm, I'm not sure, but it means we definitely are on some kind of spaceship. Something seems to be melting away. The stars are swirling. A dust bowl... Snow. My legs drifting off into the sunset. Hell, my left arm's come off too. How am I going to operate my digital watch now? Ford, you're turning into a penguin. Stop it. Two to the power of 75,000 to one against and falling. Hey, who are you? Where are you? What's going on? And is there any way of stopping it? Please relax. You are perfectly safe. That's not the point. The point is that I am now a perfectly safe penguin and my colleague here is rapidly running out of limbs. It's all right. I've got them back now. Two to the power of 50,000 to one against and falling. Admittedly, they're longer than I usually like them, but... Uh... Isn't there anything you feel you ought to be telling us? 
Welcome to the Starship Heart of Gold. Please do not be alarmed by anything you see or hear around you. You are bound to feel some initial ill effects as you've been rescued from certain death at an improbability level of 2 to the power of 267,709 to 1 against, possibly much higher. We are now cruising at a level of 2 to the power of 25,000 to 1 against unfalling, and we will be restoring normality as soon as we are sure what is normal anyway. Thank you. 2 to the power of 20,000 to 1 against unfalling. Arthur, this is fantastic. We've been picked up by a ship with the new infinite improbability drive. This is really incredible, Arthur. Arthur? What's happening? Ford? There's an infinite number of monkeys outside who want to talk to us about this script for Hamlet they've worked out. The infinite improbability drive is a wonderful new method of crossing interstellar distances in a few seconds without all that tedious mucking about in hyperspace. The principle of generating small amounts of finite improbability by simply hooking the logic circuits of a Bambolwini 57 submeson brain to an atomic vector plotter suspended in a strong Brownian motion producer, say a nice hot cup of tea, were of course well understood, and such generators were often used to break the ice at parties by making all the molecules in the hostess's undergarments simultaneously leap one foot to the left, in accordance with the theory of indeterminacy. Many respectable physicists said that they weren't going to stand for that sort of thing, partly because it was a debasement of science, but mostly because they didn't get invited to those sort of parties. Another thing they couldn't stand was the perpetual failure they encountered in trying to construct a machine which could generate the infinite improbability field needed to flip a spaceship between the furthest stars, and in the end, they grumpily announced that such a machine was virtually impossible. Then, one day, a student who had been left to sweep up the lab after a particularly unsuccessful party found himself reasoning this way. If such a machine is a virtual impossibility, then it must logically be a finite improbability. So all I have to do in order to make one is to work out exactly how improbable it is, then feed that figure into the finite improbability generator, give it a fresh cup of really hot tea, and then turn it on. He did this and was rather startled to discover that he'd managed to create the long-sought-after infinite improbability generator out of thin air. It startled him even more when just after he was awarded the Galactic Institute's prize for extreme cleverness, he got lynched by a rampaging mob of respectable physicists who had finally realized that the one thing they really couldn't stand was a smart-ass. Five to one against and falling, four to one against and falling, three to one, two, one, probability factor of one to one, we have normality. I repeat, we have normality. Anything you still can't cope with is therefore your own problem. Please relax. You will be sent for soon. Who are they, Trillian? Oh, just a couple of guys we picked up in open space. Sector ZZ9, plural Z-alpha. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a very sweet thought, Trillian, but do you really think it's wise under the circumstances? Mm -hmm. I mean, here we are, on the run and everything. We've got the police of half the galaxy after us, and we stopped to pick up hitchhikers. OK, so, ten out of ten for style, but minus several million for good thinking, OK? Zayford, they were floating unprotected in open space. You didn't want them to die, did you? Well, not as such, no, but... Anyway, I didn't pick them up. The ship did it all by itself. What? Whilst we were in improbability drive. <laughs> That's incredible. No, just very, very improbable. Look, don't worry about the aliens. They're just a couple of guys, I expect. I'll send the robot down to check them out. Hey, Marvin! 
I think you ought to know I'm feeling very depressed. God. Well, here's something to occupy you and keep your mind off things. It won't work. I have an exceptionally large mind. Marvin. All right, what do you want me to do? Go down to number two entry bay and bring the two aliens up here under surveillance. Just that? Yes. I won't enjoy it. She's not asking you to enjoy it. Just do it, will you? All right, I'll do it. Good, great. Thank you. I'm not getting you down at all, am I? No, no, Marvin. That's just fine, really. I wouldn't like to think I was getting you down. No, don't worry about that. You just act as comes naturally and everything will be fine. You're sure you don't mind? No, no, it's all just part of life. Life? Don't talk to me about life. I don't think I can stand that robot much longer, Zaphod. The Encyclopedia Galactica defines a robot as a mechanical apparatus designed to do the work of a man. The marketing division of the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation defines a robot as your plastic pal who's fun to be with. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy defines the marketing division of the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation as a bunch of mindless jerks who'll be the first against the wall when the revolution comes with a footnote to the effect that the editors would welcome applications from anyone interested in taking over the post of robotics correspondent. Curiously enough, an edition of the Encyclopedia Galactica that fell through a time warp from a thousand years in the future defined the marketing division of the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation as a bunch of mindless jerks who were the first against the wall when the revolution came. I think this ship is brand new, Arthur. How can you tell? Have you got some exotic device for measuring the age of metal? No, I just found this sales brochure lying on the floor. The universe can be yours. Ah, and look, I was right. Sensational new breakthrough in improbability physics. As the ship's drive reaches infinite improbability, it passes through every conceivable point in every conceivable universe almost simultaneously. You select your own re-entry point. Be the envy of other major governments. This is big league stuff. It looks a hell of a lot better than that dingy Vogon ship. This is my idea of a spaceship. All gleaming white, flashing lights, everything. What happens if I press this button? I wouldn't. Oh. What happened? A sign lit up saying, please do not press this button again. They make a big thing of the ship's cybernetics. A new generation of serious cybernetics corporation robots and computers with the new GPP feature. GPP? What's that? Uh, it says genuine people personalities. Sounds ghastly. It is. What? Ghastly. It all is. Absolutely ghastly. Just don't even talk about it. Look at this door. All the doors in this spacecraft have a cheerful and sunny disposition. It is their pleasure to open for you and their satisfaction to close again with the knowledge of a job well done. Hateful, isn't it? Come on, I've been ordered to take you up to the bridge. Here I am, brain the size of a planet, and they tell me to take you up to the bridge. Call that job satisfaction, because I don't. Excuse me, which government owns this ship? You watch this door. It's about to open again. I can tell by the intolerable air of smugness it suddenly generates. Come on. Thank you, the marketing division of the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation. You're welcome.
Let's build robots with genuine people personalities, they said. So they tried it out with me. I'm a personality prototype. You can tell, can't you? Um... I hate that door. I'm not getting it down, am I? Which government owns this ship? No government owns it. It's been stolen. Stolen? Stolen? Who by? Zaphod Beeblebrox. Zaphod Beeblebrox? Sorry, did I say something wrong? Pardon me for breathing, which I never do anyway, so I don't know why I bothered to say it. Oh, God, I'm so depressed. Here's another of those self-satisfied doors. Life. Don't talk to me about life. Yep. No one even mentioned it. Really? Zaphod Beeblebrox. And news reports brought to you here on the Subether Wave Band, broadcasting around the galaxy around the clock. And we'll be saying a big hello to all intelligent life forms everywhere. And to everyone else out there, the secret is to bang the rocks together, guys. And of course, the big news story tonight is the sensational theft of the new improbability drive prototype ship by none other than Zaphod Beeblebrox. And the question everyone's asking is, has the Big Z finally flipped? Beeblebrox, the man who invented the pan-galactic gargle blaster, ex-confidence trickster, part-time galactic president, once described by eccentric Columbits as the best bang since the big one, and recently voted the worst-dressed sentient being in the universe for the seventh time running. Has he got an answer this time? We asked his private brain care specialist, Gag Halfront. Well, look, Zephod's just this guy, you know? Hey, what do you turn it off for, Trillian? Zephod. I've just thought of something. Yeah? We picked those couple of guys up in... Zaphod, please take your hand off me. And the other one. Thank you. And the other one. I grew that one specially for you, Trillian. You know that? Took me six months, but it was worth every minute. We picked them up in sector ZZ9 plural Z alpha. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Uh, on the whole, no. Well, it's where you originally picked me up. Let me show it to you on the screen. Right there. Hey, right. Mm. I don't believe it. How the hell did we come to be there? Improbability drive. We pass through every point in the universe, you know that. Yeah, but, but picking them up there is just too strange a coincidence. Mm. I want to work this out. Computer? Hi there. Oh, I want you to know that whatever your problem, I am here to help you solve it. Uh, look, I, I think I'll just use a piece of paper. Sure thing. I understand. If you ever need... Shut up. Okay, okay. Trillium, listen. The ship picked them up all by itself, right? Right. Right. So, that already gives us a high improbability factor. Mm -hmm. It picked them up in that particular space sector, which gives us another high improbability factor. Mm -hmm. Plus, they were not wearing spacesuits, so we picked them up during a crucial 30-second period. I've got a note for that factor here. Put it all together, and we have a total improbability of... Yeah, well, it's uh, pretty vast, but it's not infinite. At what point do we actually pick them up? At infinite improbability level. Which leaves us a very large improbability gap still to be filled. Look, they're on the way up here now, aren't they? Mm -hmm. With that bloody robot. Uh, can we pick them up on any monitor cameras? I should think so. And then, of course, I've got this terrible pain in all the diodes down my left side. Is that so? Oh, yes. I mean, I've asked for them to be replaced, but no one ever listens. I can imagine. Oh, God, I don't believe it. Well, well, well. Zaphod Beeblebrook. <laughs> I don't believe it. This is just too amazing. Look, Trillian, I'll just uh, handle this. Is anything wrong? I think I'll just wait in the cabin. I'll be back in a minute. Oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to be so unbelievably cool about it, it would flummox a vegan snow lizard. This is terrific. 
What real cool. Several million points out of ten for style. Well, you enjoy yourself, Zayford. I don't see what's so great myself. I'll go and listen for the police on the Sabitha wave band. Right. Which is the most nonchalant chair to be discovered working at? Yeah. Okay. Glad to be of service. I suppose you'll want to see the aliens now. Do you want me to sit in a corner and rust, or just fall apart where I'm standing? Show them in, please, Marvin. Ford, hi. How are you? Glad you could drop in. Zayford, great to see you. You're looking well. The extra arm suits you. Nice ship you've stolen. You mean you know this guy? Know him? He's... Oh, oh, Zayford, this is a friend of mine, Arthur Dent. I saved him when his planet blew up. Oh, sure. Hi, Arthur. Glad you could make it. And, Arthur, this is my... We've met. What? Oh, uh, have we? Hey, what do you mean you've met? This is Zaphod Beeblebrox from Beetlejuice 5, you know, not, not bloody Martin Smith from Croydon. I don't care. We've met, haven't we, Zaphod? Or should I say, Phil? What? Uh, you, you'll have to remind me. I have a terrible memory for species. It was at a party. I rather doubt it. Cool it, will you, Arthur? A party six months ago on Earth, England. London. Uh, Islington. Oh, that party. Zephod, you don't mean to say you've been on that miserable little planet as well? No, of course not. Well, I may have just dropped in briefly on my way somewhere. What is all this, Arthur? At this party, there was a girl. I'd had my eye on her for weeks. Beautiful, charming, devastatingly intelligent. Everything I'd been saving myself up for. And just when I'd finally managed to get her for myself for a few tender moments, this friend of yours barges up and says, Hey, doll, is this guy boring you? Come and talk to me. I'm from a different planet. I never saw her again. Zaphod? Yes, he only had the two arms and the one head, and he called himself Phil, but... But you must admit that he did actually turn out to be from a different planet, Arthur. Good God, it's her! Trisha McMillan, what are you doing here? Same as you, Arthur. I hitched a ride. After all, with a degree in maths and another in astrophysics, it was either that or back to the dole queue on Monday. Oh, I'm sorry I missed that Wednesday lunch date, but I was in a black hole all morning. Oh, God. Ford, this is Trillian. Hi, Trillian, this is my semi-cousin Ford, who shares three of the same mothers as me. Hi. Trillian, is this sort of thing going to happen every time we use the infinite improbability drive? Very probably, I'm afraid. Zayford Beeblebrox, this is a very large drink. Hi. Will our heroes be able to enjoy a nice relaxed evening at last? How will they cope with their new social roles? Will they survive the deadly missile attack, which is launched on them three minutes into the next episode? Find out in next week's exciting instalment of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book. Simon Jones played Arthur Dent and Geoffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect. Stephen Moore was Marvin, Mark Wing Davy, Zaphod Beeblebrox, Susan Sheridan, Trillian, Bill Wallace, the Vogon Captain, and David Tate, the Vogon Guard and Computer. The programme was written by Douglas Adams and produced by Geoffrey Perkins with the assistance of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. And it'll be repeated through a time warp on the home service in 1951.
Hi there, this is Eddie, your shipboard computer. And I just want to mention here that we are now moving into orbit around the legendary planet of Magrathea. Sorry to interrupt your social evening. Have a good time. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.